Flip, it's been a while. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we last talked like this. Why don't you tell everybody what's been going on? Well, not much. I, I've, just, I've been hanging out. I've been well. Actually, what happened is I, I uh, ruptured my quad muscles, and uh, they got uh, that was a tough, it's a tough injury. And uh, I didn't do it once. I actually did it twice. So I did it once. I went at surgery, and then you know I was going through rehab and a few things, and. I got hurt again, and I had to have surgery again. So, uh, that, but but the last surgery, everything was successful. And I saw the doctor this morning. He just said, just you know, keep it elevated and just try not to do anything too heavy and let it mend. So I'm on the mend, which is good. And I'm watching uh, Yes, and I'm watching uh, Yankees. I'm watching baseball. I'm watching all kinds of things, and I'm uh, enjoying life, but in a different way. So you liked it so much the first time you went for another surgery. Well, I told the doctor, who was excellent, I told him uh, the one wasn't good enough for me. You know, I want to give him practice, so we'll do it again. That was nice of you. Yeah, I'm, I'm big about things like that. Well, now that you're back, let's talk some baseball. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, which is crazy to me, is the standings, right? Because at the beginning of the season, I think we both thought there would be three AL East teams in the postseason. And if the season ended today, there's only one, and that's the Yankees. That's crazy to me. You know, it's crazy to me, too, because, uh, you know, when I did my preseason, you know, picks, which we all do our preseason picks, I picked the Yankees uh, to win it. Uh, but and I, but the Red Sox, I thought, would be close behind within five games. And I thought right behind them, maybe within a game, would be the race. And then I thought at one point that the Yankees would would win it, but the two wild cards would come from the East, come be the Red Sox and the Rays. And the way it's trending right now, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So surprise, surprise, right? Yeah, and Tampa doesn't get much easier next month. Um, they have the Dodgers, they have the Yankees, and the Red Sox. And that leads me to my hot take. You ready for my hot take, Flip? I'm ready. I'm this ready. is a hot take. I'm ready. Tampa Bay does not make the postseason. It's possible. Boston Red Sox grab a wild card, and they are in. Well, as you said, the schedule. The schedule uh, is way against the Rays. They're playing some very difficult teams, and the, the schedule is a lot softer for the Red Sox. So it could very well be that the, the Red Sox could slide in and be a – be a wild card. It'd be interesting if that happened. I would tell you, and, uh, and I'll tell you. But it's a, it's a good test for the Rays because, you know, they're a young team. They've got a lot of talent, and they've got more talent coming. So they're playing difficult teams. So it'd be interesting to see how they measure up against these teams because they're all above 500 ball clubs and they're difficult teams. So we'll see how they match up, and we'll see. You know, it'd be a nice little character test for them. It will be. But the Red Sox, in my opinion, they're more battle tested. Very soft September, with the exception of four against the Yankees. Uh, Evaldi and Price are back. It just seems like it's all aligning at the right time for Boston. Yeah, yeah, I think the loss of Sale and and Price, and I mean, you don't lose pitchers like that. And and, and they had great, they had really good years from Bogart and and Devers. And the other player, you know, J.D. Martinez, Betts, nice years, really good years, but not the great years they had. You know, last season. So that guys who had super seasons had a little less than that. Their pitching really wasn't there for them. Their bullpen wasn't there for them. So hence the, you know, the the not having the the year that some people expected they would have. Right, but those were career years they had all at the same time last year. Well, except Betts has had about five of them. (laughs) Betts is an amazing player. He is. Uh, But this is not a Red Sox podcast. We should probably talk about the Yankees. Sure. one of the things that made news yesterday is that Clint Frazier would likely be called up in September. Okay. Now, for me, I thought it was surprising that that made news. It would have been more newsworthy if they said he wouldn't make it. Why is it? It seems Clint Frazier is so polarizing. Why is that? Well, I mean, he's young. Um, you know, he's uh, got definite opinions. I think he's um, sometimes doesn't see the world the way the world sees the world. And, uh, I think that's been difficult for him. Um, I think that um, 
he said some things that didn't sit well with uh, the fans, the press, maybe some of his own teammates. I mean, when you when that's the situation, you know, so you know, listen, to be part of a major league team and to be effective in a major league team, at least my opinion, you not only have to have the talent, but you have to have the, the, the makeup. And you know, I'm not saying this kid doesn't have the makeup, but right now he's you know he's fallen into he's gone down a couple of rabbit holes. It's been tough for him. And he said some things that just didn't go over, like I said before, well with people. And so, yeah, he is polarizing. And I think there are lessons to be learned. And if he learns those lessons, I mean, he's got the talent. I mean, he's offensively, he's got the talent. Defensively, he's, you know, he's a question mark. But offensively, he certainly has the talent. And, you know, he could, he could certainly still be an effective big leaguer, no doubt. But I do, I do think he has to grow up a little bit. One of the things um, that I really like about our homegrown show on Yes, um, they had Clint Frazier – they showed him just working overtime in the outfield. And then he came back to the coach, and he was like, listen, I really have to work on this. So these are things that you were just saying he needs to work on, and clearly he's doing it. Well, listen, you know, sometimes the, the lessons, the best lessons in life are the hard lessons that you learn. And these are hard lessons for him. So hopefully he's, like, you know, getting there. He's maturing. And, uh, I mean, to hear that, and I actually saw that because I saw the show, and, and uh, you know, it impressed me too. It, it tells you that he's taking it really seriously, that part of his game. You know, I remember when, when Sanchez was having trouble – behind the plate, and I know Alex, Alex Rodriguez spoke to him. And one of the things I know Alex told him was, you know, forget about the offense. It's there. It's, you don't have to worry about your hitting. You've got to worry about we got to catch the ball. We've got to work on your catching. So sometimes the, the lessons you, you, know, you learn in life, are the, the ones that are the truest, are the hardest. So I think maybe Clint Frazier has learned some, some hard lessons. And I think at the end of the day, you know, he's starting to grow up, and if that's the case, I mean, he's, he can have a very long, very productive career, career as a big leaguer. Well, I know he was shocked when he got sent down, and I was a little shocked too. Um, but to be honest, it looked like it was the right move when you look at it. The other option was Mike Talkman, right? Talkman's just tearing the cover off the ball. But, you know, I mean, it's amazing to me how Talkman became Talkman because when we first got him, he was – you know, people said, who's this guy? Oh, oh, I guess he's a fourth outfielder. And, and then Tyler Wade was complaining. And the Yankees said, well, you're not really a true outfielder. We got it like a true outfielder here, and that's why we made the deal. And he got upset. And, you know, listen, somebody makes the team, somebody doesn't. So there's always going to be somebody upset. But, but uh, I mean, Talkman went from a fourth outfielder, sort of a defensive, to, you know, a stalwart in the lineup and a strong lefty bat and uh, a real presence for the Yankees. Another one of the, you know, uh, you know passing the baton guys to who was uh, – Everybody they've called up, every move they've made has come up, uh, come up aces. It has, and every time they make one of those moves, I scratch my head. Like DJ LeMayhew, Luke Voigt, uh, Gio Urshela, and they were aces every time you said it. Uh, they really were. I mean, LeMayhew was a, kind of a proven commodity when the batting title in Colorado. Good player, and we were talking, uh, you know, we will talk to Michael Kay in a little while, and uh, We'll get his thoughts because he's got a lot of thoughts on all this. So I'm excited to hear what, what Michael's got to say. But I must tell you, uh, uh, Talkman has been a terrific, another one of the terrific finds by the Yankee front office. So before we move on from Clint Frazier, we mentioned the 40-man roster. Uh, it's really a sticking point for me, that 40-man roster. Um, I would go so far as to say I hate it. Why, during the most important games of the season, you have 40 men on your roster? Can we change that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get done You'll by, get that? by tonight. All right. I'll see what I you get. You got Rob on the phone? I'll get Rob, I'll get Tony, I'll get all MLB on the phone, but we'll fix that right away. Um, listen, I, I understand that there's a huge inequity there and uh, because not everybody calls up 40 players. You know, some teams have done it in the past because they want to give a lot, a lot of their prospects a chance to taste the big league, see what it's about. I mean, there's value in it there, 
but I must tell you, that, but in terms of a competitive situation, it creates an inequity. You can't have one team, one team might call up one, two players, three players. They're playing with 28, you're playing with 40. That's an, that's an inequity. And the rules need to be the same. Rules are rules for a reason. They need to apply to everybody for the same reason across the board. So getting rid of the 40-man is one of the ways I would fix baseball. Uh, one of the ways that the league is trying to fix baseball, quote-unquote. Uh, quote with quotes around it. Quote, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's not, it's not broken. I'm not one of those who thinks it's broken. But players weekend. Uh, what, what's you, uh, <laughs> what's the, your tick? Nicknames, uniforms? Take the weekend off. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, so like you this. don't like it? No. I mean, obviously, I can't stand it. I mean, I, uh, I mean, I get why it's done. I mean, I understand some somebody came out. It's a marketing idea. It's interesting. Some players, the nicknames, are kind of interesting, but. Uh, I mean, it's 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 incredibly forgettable. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anybody who said I got to rush home. I got to watch it. It's Players Weekend. I don't know. You know, I just don't see. I don't see the the big deal about. It. I mean, it doesn't really hurt. Does it hurt? No, not really. I don't know. If it helps. Markets what? It wasn't market. I don't. It's supposed so to be getting issues. you younger. Um, by but doing nicknames. By doing. I mean, you could do that. Uh, you talk about someone's nickname when they come to the plate. You could put it on the on a graphic. Put right. their nickname under that. I mean. I, I, don't, I just don't know. I mean, I don't know what the fuss is about. I don't. But I, I, to me, the uniform thing bothered me. Like the Yankees playing the Dodgers, two of the great uniforms yes. in baseball history. Yes. Great uniforms, and you don't get a chance to see them play each other. And I got to look at, you know, when, when Ford came out, I was watching a softball game. <laughs> I mean, no offense to Ford, I like him a lot. But I mean, you know, come on. I mean, what am I watching here? No, I agree. Maybe because I had the injury in my quad, and it's. Um, medication well you're not the only one social media was talking about it too i think it was a perfect storm of this year's uniforms were just so ugly and you had the yankees and the dodgers too that you wanted them to play against each other in their classic unis it was just a bad season i think for it it was uh it was uh, awful so what would your player's nickname be flip (laughs) (laughs) mel mel Uh, Jason, our engineer, yeah. sound engineer. What would be your player's nickname? Jason Marshall. Player's nickname. Uh, I, I don't know. On the spot, Jay Marsh. Jay Marsh. All right. Do you like that? No. No, I don't like it either. <laughs> Take yourself. We gotta else. get a new nickname he, for him. We gotta figure something else out. He's a great guitar player, by the way. I've, I've played with him, and he just he smokes me. For an audio engineer, he's a great guitar player. <laughs> I think he's better at guitar than he's at audio. But we'll leave that alone. <laughs> but he's really good. A really good guitar player. Uh, I mean, really good. I w- and we're going to get you to play guitar one of these times on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, i got to get past smoke on the water, and we'll be right here. <laughs> All right, are you ready? It's time for the Yes History segment. Ready, ready. So um, listen, long-time listeners, all three weeks, will know that we don't go over this. There's been no production meeting. Flip has no idea what I'm about to ask him. So what I do is I just pick a, a topic from the past, and we try and take a deep dive. Flip, you ready? The topic right, is... We have to exhale, wait. Drum roll. Okay, ready. Yogi and a movie. Yogi and a movie. Who's that? So everyone knows Yogi and Movie was a TV show on the Yes Network. I think it started in 2005. It's probably about uh, right. Hosted by Bob Lorenz and Yogi Berra. They right. watched a movie and they would do commentary on right. it. Right. Whose idea was that? Well, the idea was mine. Uh, it, we, the Howard Levinson, who's our head of sales and, and a great, great head of sales, um, came to us and said, I've got... Um, I get, I get a movie library, and it was like the Jackie Robinson story and the Larry Doby story and the, you know, the Joe Lewis story and the story story. <laughs> we had all kinds of interesting titles, but they, you know, they were t- dated titles from the 50s, 
and it was going to cost us very little money, and it was in some interesting programming to run a couple of times. And you know, I, I just thought it was meh, interesting, but a little bland. And I said, I'm going to make this better. And then I said, you know what? I remember Yogi used to do movie reviews, so I said, how about we do Yogi in a movie? And so we talked to Yogi. He loved the idea. He said, I'd love to do it. Uh, and then he said, do what? And I explained it. And he said, do what again? And I explained it again. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, but, you know, Yogi was great. I love Yogi. We all miss him dearly. Uh, but uh, so when we spoke to Bob Lorenz, and Bob was just, Bob has been dying to do something like that for a long time. Bob is, uh, he's got uh, two feet into the Tonight Show. He just yeah. loves, he loves entertainment. And he loves, loves being a host. And, uh, and he was perfect for it. So he and Yogi had a really nice, warm rapport. And it was actually turned out to be, it was far better than watching the movie, to be honest, was watching them. So, yeah. So it worked. So on the level it was supposed to work, it worked, and it made that, the, that that two hours watchable. Because and the movies were they, they were all right, but they were like I said, dated, and a lot of our younger would have no idea as to or a lot of interest into some of the titles. But having Yogi in a movie gave them more interest because Yogi was interesting, and Bob made it interesting too. So we had the right people. So did they really watch the movies? Uh, well, Bob did. Bob did. You know, and uh, Yogi remembered the movies. Yeah. So, which was, you know, I, I, it was a lot to ask for Yogi to sit down and watch you know, his movies again, especially Jackie Robinson's The Steel of Home Plate. Oh, my God. I mean, poor Yogi. He doesn't want to live that. He's again. out. He's out. He's safe. He's safe. He's out. I mean, that's one of the great arguments I think in the history out. of baseball. I think he was out, too, yeah. but, but we don't really know, do we? And we're not going to. But Yogi said he was out, and I believe Yogi, so I'll take Yogi's word on it. <laughs> Where'd you guys film these? At the museum? Uh, I think we did do it at the museum. If memory serves me right, it, I, it could have been here in Stanford, but something tells me that it was difficult for Yogi to travel, so we went to Montclair, where the Yogi Berra Museum is. And those of you who haven't been there, it's a great visit. You should visit it. It's a lot of fun. From a production standpoint, it makes a ton of sense, right? It's cheap. You could probably film them all in one day if you want. Hey, Yogi, wear a different sweater. We're doing a different <laughs> movie. Yeah. I don't know that we did. I think it was a lot to just – because we had so many breaks in the movie, I think that uh, – I think it took uh, us multiple times to, to get through the series, but uh, but Yogi was up for it, and he did a great job, as did Bob, so it was a lot of fun, and uh, that was my recollection of it, yeah. And Yogi, you said, had a syndicated TV show where he was a film critic? No, it wasn't a syndicated TV show. It was something where he used to do, like, movie hits with with somebody. It was somebody else's show, and Mogi, Yogi would come on and do... It was like a guest reviewer. I mean, this is from my childhood, so, I mean... It was something like that that I remember him doing. I, you'd have to, I guess, if you, those of you who know Google, go to Google and, as Susan Wallman says, go Google it. You know, so go Google it and figure it out. But somewhere who in doesn't there, know Google? Um, I actually know some people. Who Come know on, it. no, I know some people who know it. Jared Boschnack. Definitely Jared. Yeah. yeah he, he wouldn't include it. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing about that. We almost went a whole episode without bringing him up, so that's why I said that. I, Jared, I know he best. knows. Jared produces our pre- and post-game shows. and uh, Best in the business. He's our senior um, coordinating producer of the studio. All our events are there. He's the best. Jared is one of the best in the business. And also, Flip, we have one of the best in the business, Michael Kay, coming up next. But we're not going to let him go first. What are we going to do first? Everybody needs to rate, review, and subscribe this thing, right? Oh, you know, they really do because uh, this is um, – and we're starting to pick up steam here from what I understand and what I've, I've heard from a few people about it, and it's good. So, I mean, I hope you enjoy it, and if you do, please, you know, give us a nice review and rate us and be kind to us. And if you don't like us, then just ignore it. Don't say anything negative. Or just give <laughs> us a five star. You're, you're, it's it's like, not going to hurt. It's like Uber. You know, it's a good ride. Give us five stars. Do something. <laughs> so on the other side, we're going to have Michael K. Yeah, I, I mean, I really love Michael K. He's been, uh, become one of my best friends and uh, – uh, yes would not be yes without Michael, for sure. And uh, 
and he's just good at about everything he, he gets involved with, and he's just a wonderful friend. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I really am. So uh, so he'll be on the other side of this break, so don't go away. Uh, Michael Kay is our very special uh, guest on our one-to-one segment, and we'll return with uh, Curtain Call right after these messages. Hey, this is Chris Sheeran of the Yes Network. Listen to my podcast, and we're off for all the latest on the New York sports scene with guests who know the teams you love inside and out. Go to where you subscribe to your favorites and give it a listen. Welcome back to Curtain Call. Our very special guest is Michael Kay. Michael is a veteran of 28 years in the business, his last 18 with Yes. He's a many, many time uh, Emmy Award winner. He's won other awards for his work on Center Stage and uh, some of his other programs that he's done through the years. And he's just uh, one of the best people you'll find in the business. And Michael, we welcome you to Curtain Call. And welcome Kevin Sullivan. We say hello. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. We can finally hear you, which is great. Because uh, ah. there, there were some questions, Michael, the last couple of weeks about your voice. And uh, you went through quite a scare, didn't you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was really tough. Uh, you know, you start to think, am I going to be able to talk in the future? Am I going to be able to keep my jobs? And not because you're interviewing me, but uh, the patience that you showed and, and uh, my radio side, Tim McCarthy, showed, that helped alleviate some of the the stress and the pressure and it took five weeks of silence but um you know last week i did seven games in a row without incident and uh this week i'm doing radio shows without incident so i feel i feel pretty good michael take us back to when you first realized something was wrong uh what, what was going through your mind did you think it was going to be something major well there was that one game it was right after david Cohn's uh charity dinner uh, where I was the MC, It was like a thousand people at the Mandrill, Mandarin Oriental. And then the next day on the air, I felt that my voice was a little shot. And then that, that one game I did, I think it was on a Friday with Paul and David, I could hardly speak. And I knew that, I, I mean, I've had instances where I had laryngitis and lost my voice and I thought that maybe it was that. But that Sunday was Old Timer's Day. So I went on a, a dose of prednisone, and that got me my voice back for Alzheimer's Day and the game after that. And then I did a game on Monday, and I, I still felt that something was up. And uh, went to see the doctor, and there was bleeding on the vocal cords. And then when they took a closer look, there were nodules as well. And, you know, this doctor, Dr. Steven Zytels in Boston, said, you're going to have to have those removed. And it was initially supposed to be a, a three-week recovery period, but... Probably the most anxious time of all was when uh, I went after three weeks and, and there was still a problem. And he said he still needed time to heal. Then I really got nervous. But two weeks later, I went back and he gave me the all clear. And then I did the Saturday and Sunday games at the stadium against the Indians and then the West Coast swing. And so far, so good. Michael, you really didn't talk for all that time? You didn't say a word to, to Jody, the kids, anyone? You didn't say not one, not one single word? I wanted to, uh, I'll be honest, there was, you know, one time that I woke up and, uh, you know, Charlie, my four-year-old was there and I thought something was up and I just instinctively said, what's wrong? And that was the, I think that was the only words I said in five, five weeks. But otherwise I figured if they say I've got to have total, you know, total vocal rest, why should I risk another operation? So I pretty much stayed true. Uh, all the things he said not to, uh, not to burp and not to have carbonated beverages and no caffeine and 
no chocolate, no spicy food. So I ended up losing weight, which was a good thing, but uh, it was a very, very Spartan existence. So you had five weeks to think about what your first words would be. Did you put much thought into it, and what were they? I really didn't. You know, the doctor said talk, and I said hello. That was pretty <laughs> much it. So uh, in your absence, the Yes Network had its own version of Next Man Up. So we had Costas, we had Ryan, we had Kenny. <laughs> we all know how well they did. I don't want to know your review of them. I want to know how hard was it for you to listen to them do your job? Very painful. Flipple like this. Uh, it was like somebody making out with my wife. That's what I felt like. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt very strange. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't like it at all. Those were games that I was scheduled to do. And you know, in a more serious vein, in 28 years in broadcasting, I never, ever missed an assignment because of sickness, ever. I don't think I missed, I ever called in sick when I was a writer. It's just the way I was brought up. And for me to, you know, I have a much greater appreciation of athletes and injuries now. I'm sure they want to play, but I was just unable to play. And, you know, it also gave me the appreciation that everybody is, uh, everybody's replaceable. You know, the world goes on when you step away. It's kind of sobering, but uh, I, I, I dedicatedly watched every single game. It was painful, but I watched every single one. So we're going to move on a little bit, but before we do, I want one other question about your uh, your voice. Um, did people talk to you a little bit differently at all? And I only ask because I saw you at the Yes Studios, and I felt like such an idiot. You're walking by, and I uh, I mouthed the words hello to you like I'm the one who can't talk. It's <laughs> funny. You're not alone, Kevin, uh, because most people – approach me as if I was deaf as well and people would try to sign to me in the supermarket and stuff like that and I point to my ear and I said no I can hear I just can't talk so I don't I don't blame people they were trying to be helpful but it was tough just uh, you know your interactions with people are very limited you can't really talk on the you can't talk on the phone at all you uh, realize you can't go to the drive through at Wendy's because you got to get out of the car because you can't talk into the speaker so uh you, you certainly come to appreciate your voice a little bit more. You, you know, you, you absolutely do. Anytime you have something as precious as that and you, you lose it for a while or it's compromised for a while, and it's certainly when you, you don't know what the outcome is going to be, I could appreciate the anxiety. And, uh, you know, uh, we all learn a lesson from that. We, when, you don't have, when you have something and it's taken away from you, all of a sudden you miss it greatly. So, um, listen, you don't need to learn. I mean, I know you a long time now. You don't need to learn life's lessons. Uh, there are a lot of people that do, but you're not one of them. I mean, you're one of the good guys, uh, in not only in the business, but in life. And, um, you know, I'm glad that you're back. I'm glad that you're back at Yes. And uh, you certainly, you had whatever anxiety you may have felt about uh, job security was uh, not anxiety you should have ever felt. So I just tell you from, from my end of it. But uh, well, thank you. You know that I'm out of my mind. So I'm, I'm certainly the person that will feel anxiety. Yes, you, you can you can underscore you're out of your mind. I mean, I, I know that, Michael. <laughs> I know you a long time. I know about it. Oh, God, we, we can't go there here. All right, so let's, let's move on a little bit, a couple of things, Michael. All right, you started as a beat writer, and eventually, you, you know, you made your way to the radio booth, and you teamed with John Sterling. I mean, what was that dynamic? What was that like that made you, the two of you, so successful? You know what? I, I'm not quite sure because when, when I got that job, I had no experience other than uh, I was doing the MSG uh, post game without Troutwood and obviously my college radio experience. I, I just think it clicked. Um, I understood John's, uh, how do I put this, peculiarities, and I accepted them and embraced them. And uh, I think John appreciated 
uh, that I had his back. I would never backstab him or anything like that. And we just messed on the air. We had a, uh, a really good vibe on the air. And you know what else helped Flip? And, and John said this right from the very beginning. I used to like watch him the first couple of years when, you know, it was the first couple of years of Buck Showalter when they were trying to turn things around, but they still weren't a great team. They would get so frustrated with every single loss. I said, John, why do you care so much if they win or lose? Because remember, I was coming from a journalistic background. I never rooted. And he said, you don't understand. He said, if you broadcast a winning team and you bring good news into people's lives, people are going to like you. He says, if they're losing, they're not going to like you as much. And, and he was dead right. You know, we, we were right in the middle of that run in 95 and 96 and the championships in 98, 99, 2000, World Series 2001. That was all of us behind the mic. So we, we are associated with those good times. And I think that certainly helped the way people thought about us. And, and particularly, Michael, because it isn't, it isn't a national broadcast. It's a local broadcast. So you're allowed, you're allowed the nuances of doing a local broadcast, which is you're allowed to, you know, to, um, to uh, shade things a little toward the home team. I, I know that people get upset when they hear that term. Like, oh, homers. You guys weren't homers. You're not homers. But you shade it toward the home team a little bit because, you know what, your audience is home team. Your audience is a Yankee audience. And we also, because of radio, you know, we have to do the World Series, you know, and the, the only part of the yes job that, that stabs at me is that, you know, once the playoffs come, you know, we can't do the games. I, I think it's patently unfair to fans as well. There should be an SAP button for all national broadcasts so that local broadcasters could be heard. And I think that local fans would be better served, but I just can't see Fox ever doing that. Another part I think of our success in that run is that at that point, I was pretty much the age of the players. So I had great relationships with the players. Um, it was almost like you were accepted as part of the team. They told you stuff. You know, now, you know, I'm 20 years older than most of the players, 30 years older. So, uh, and, and I think that players are much more guarded all around, not just the Yankees than they were before. So you, you don't have that, that, that knowledge where you can say, oh, this is what this guy said to me. I mean, you can't even get to guys that much anymore. So it's, it's just a different, it's a different dynamic when you broadcast now. No doubt. Uh, that's absolutely true. Um, we had Chris Russo on recently, and we were talking to Chris, and one of the things that came up was uh, he said to us that he, when he found out that uh, you were considering working for Yes, uh, the early days of the network, or I mean, when we then actually we were looking for people and casting people and hiring people, he said he called you and tried to pers dissuade you from going to Yes. Yes. I vaguely remember that, uh, and I have another story along those lines. I was at the baseball writers' dinner, so that's obviously end of January, beginning of February, the year that we started it. Yes, and I was at the urinal in the bathroom, and standing next to me was my former New York Post sports editor, Greg Gallo. And while we were doing our business, so to speak, he just turned to me and said, "You're making a huge mistake." He said, "You'll be crawling back to newspapers. You've got ink in your veins. You shouldn't be doing this." And I said, oh, thanks. Thanks so much. Um, but uh, I, I just had, I had a belief in you. I had a belief in what we were trying to do. And also, you know, it's the Yankees. You know, it's the Yankee network. So if you're going to take a chance on it, you take a chance on it. And obviously there was some trepidation and fear when Cablevision wasn't carrying us that first year. You know, you didn't know what was going to happen, if they were going to give up the GOAT. But uh, after, after that first year and we had total carriage, I've never had a second thought in my mind. It's one of the it's the best decision I ever made other than marrying Jody. 
Well, fast forward 18 years. You're the voice of the Yankees on the most watched RSN. You have your own show on center stage. You have your radio show. What else is there for Michael K to do? Is there something that motivates you? you know, I, th- I think just I, I want to be I want to be good every time I go on the air. I'm motivated to be great. Um, I, I want to hold on to this job and, and keep it as long as I want it. I don't ever want it taken away from me. I, I want to be the one who walks away. And I know there's a lot of pressure. There, uh, I'm sure there are tens of thousands of people that would do anything to get this job. And I have one of the great jobs in all of, of all of broadcasting. I mean, even Bob Costas knows that. And Bob Costas has done Olympics and World Series and NBA Finals and and whatnot. This is this is the this is the Tiffany job in all of sports, being the, the television voice of the New York Yankees. So the thing that drives me is to be consistent and continue to do hard work and be good and show up all the time and and do right by your employers. That's that's pretty much it. But sometimes, Michael, uh, insecurity, and we all have insecurity. Everybody, I think most people in life have, and certainly most people, I could tell you, in our business have it. So so there's a little insecurity there. But but doesn't that act as a motivator? Doesn't that insecurity Absolutely. act as a, as a trigger to motivate? I think that everything that you've done in life, every day that goes by, serves some you know role in shaping how you are and... I think there are a couple of things. The fact that I grew up so poor uh, in the South Bronx, you know, there was just a work ethic that was instilled in me to not be in that position. And now that, you know, thank God that I'm in a position I am now, I never want to go back to that. So, and then, you know, you know, you're, you're one of the people that always talks me down from, from, you know, insecurity, but you know, there's nobody, nobody is on the air. That's a hundred percent love. So although 99% of the people might like me, the 1% is what resonates in me and what probably drives me and, and drives the insecurities as well. So that's why I work so hard. That's why when I couldn't talk for five weeks, there was that fear and stuff like that. So I'm a product of all those neuroses. But, well, well, I mean, Francesca loves you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I didn't get a call from him during my convalescence. <laughs> I'm not getting one from during mine. I'm not getting one either. But it's okay. But that brings up a good point. You know, we've been talking, Michael, a lot about the history of Yes over the past couple of weeks. Um, and one of, one of the things we talked about was your transition into Michael Fran- Mike Francesa's spot on our air. How, how satisfying was that? Oh, it was satisfying. <laughs> uh, I, I loved it. I think it. I think it brought the. Um, I think it brought the radio show to another level. Uh, I think more people became aware of it. Um, so I think that people might have discovered us on Yes. So when they're not in front of a TV, they get to a car and they turn it on. So it's become a habit. And, you know, the, right before I went into surgery, I mean, literally right before I was sitting in the waiting room at Mass General, and uh, I got a text from the my PD at the radio station where Ryan Hurley told us that we finished first. Not not just beat Francesca, we finished first of every single radio show uh, in the market um, in the afternoon drive. And... Five years ago, that, that wouldn't have been even uh, pie in the sky thought. So I just think that the video aspect of it has made it more fun, and I just think it's what a great awareness, and we're very proud of it. The fact that we're on yes, I think, I think it's helped quite a bit. I really do. I think it really, really kind of jump started the radio show to another level. And the chemistry that the three of you guys have is amazing. Um, Flip, I think we have the radio vo- or the television voice of the Yankees. We should probably talk some current events before we let them go. Yeah, what absolutely. Good. 
Uh, let's start with Aaron Judge, Michael. He's been on tear of late. Why is this? Where'd this come from? I think it started when I came back. If you, if you <laughs> trace it, it, when I came back to the mic, he started hitting home runs. I mean, just look at it. It's not even hyperbole. Uh, I just think he's a guy who's six foot seven, has a big swing. He's going to get into slumps. Uh, that's a tough injury to come back from. One that he had. I think he's one of the best players in baseball, and I think that the cream is always going to rise to the top. So, I just think it was a, just a matter of time. I never doubted it. A lot of people said, "Oh, you know." Is this what he is? No, this is not what he is. He's a great, great player. He's a superstar. He's one of the greatest players in the game. So it's just a matter of time. Just happened to coincide when I started announcing again. So I'll take credit for it. Good job. Thank you for that. Michael, how important is Severino to the Yankees in October? Well, if it's Severino from the first half of last year, he's mega important. If it's, if it's Severino from the second half, it's not that important. But I look at him as one of the best pitchers in baseball. So the one thing that the Yankees don't have is that, you know, titular ace, so to speak. When Luis Severino is right, he's the ace. Now, how far can they stretch him out? Will they use him out of the bullpen? But if he gets back to what he was last year, it'd be like the trade that they couldn't make. So I, I just think it's vitally important. That and, and the emergence of Paxton. If Paxton can continue what he's done his last couple of starts, pitch like that, and Sebi comes back and gives the Yankees some semblance of what he was, the Yankees can win the World Series. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you throw in Batantis, the length in their bullpen, you know, their bullpen is great, but all of a sudden you throw in Batantis, you could probably carry, you could cover seven innings in a playoff game. Just think about that. You could. You could look at the arms. You could cover seven innings in a playoff game. So if you if you start somebody and they're not great and they're a little rocky and They've given up a couple of runs. You could cover the rest of the game with not good relievers, but great relievers. So I think Catantis is important, too. Michael, over the course of the second half of the season, uh, the, one of the things the digital department here at Yes has been doing is taking that Buzz in the Bronx set that you guys did at the beginning of the season and taking it to the stadium and having fans talk about the Yankees. And one of the last pieces we did was talking about who is the MVP of the Yankees this year. What do you think? I think it's LeMayu. You know, he's been so interchangeable in so many positions, and he just doesn't take a glove and go there. He's he's premium defender at third, at second, and even at first base, which he hasn't played a lot. And as a hitter, he's been beyond anybody's dreams. He's, uh, he's one of the best free agent signings, I think, of all time. When you look at the money that they spent, uh, you look at the years that they committed, you look at the fact that the guy could win a, a batting title. And um, I think as of this taping, He's got a war of about 5.3 this year. So according to the different metrics, a war point is worth anywhere from 7 to $10 million. So let's go on the low side and say it's worth $7 million. He has already outperformed his two-year contract by $15 million just on this year alone. Uh, it was a brilliant stroke by Brian Cashman and his front office team, and I think that he's the most valuable player. And if I had to say number two, that would probably be Gio Rochelle. Well, there's a reason why I do digital for yes and don't make the decisions, because when LeMahieu got signed, I kind of scratched my head a little bit. See, I didn't. No? No, I, I knew I knew who he was. I thought it was a very good signing when they made it. It would have turned out to be a great signing, like Michael said. I, I didn't anticipate it would be like this, but I knew he'd be a good signing because he won the batting title. He was a pretty good player, 
and pretty good resume. And uh, but this went this went beyond all that. So he's he's just been spectacular, and the show's been spectacular. And and I'll tell you what, and and if if Torres is emerging as a true superstar, that that's part of this too. I mean, the Yankees have gotten help from kind of unexpected places, and that's one of the reasons I think that they've had the year that they've had. I mean, they're just getting help from everywhere. Every card that they they turn up is coming up an ace. It's like it's incredible. It really I've never seen injuries like this. I've also never seen a run like this where every decision that they make I mean look at this. Is now you're having a discussion about Void and Ford. I mean honestly, you never thought that was going to happen, but no. you're having it now. What do you think Michael well, Void or Ford? What do you think? I think you probably go with Void because Void has been a very very good player although Ford's been on fire of late. Uh, once September comes around and you have a 40 man roster, you can you can platoon them. So maybe you know, Boyd's supposedly come back on Friday, so you have a couple of days before you can expand the roster. But when you can, I, I would play, I would play Ford against some right-handers. But I think that Boyd has earned that spot. He certainly didn't lose it because he wasn't a good player. Lost it because of the injury. And you know, you also said something about Torres. But I think, I think sometimes we we lose sight. He's 22 years old. He's been to two All-Star games. He's going to only get better. And we had a, a phone call on our radio show yesterday, where somebody said. Would either team make the trade of, of Labor Torres for Jacob DeGrom? So I was asked to, to make the Yankee call. And Labor Torres is so good, I would not trade him for Jacob DeGrom. I just wouldn't. This guy's going to be your second baseman for the next 10, 12 years. You know, Jacob DeGrom's in his 30s. He might be one of the best pitchers in baseball. And he might help them this year. But I wouldn't make that trade. I don't know about you, Flip. You know what? I, I wouldn't either. I mean, and I think that's one of the reasons the Yankees weren't able to pull the trigger on some of the pitching discussions they had had because uh, everyone wanted, uh, they all wanted Torres. Any elite pitcher, any started with, with Torres, and I know that uh, Brian Cashman would be obviously very reluctant to pull that trigger, and as would any of us. I mean, so uh, not that we, it's not that it's our vote, it's Brian's vote and the Yankee front office, but uh, but I could, you could see why they wouldn't trade. I mean, he's the, I mean, he's an indis, he's indispensable. He's He's your building block no, for many he's years. he's a superstar. And, you know, we yeah, said really that LeMay could be one of the best signings. If you look at that trade for Torres, it's one of the most brilliant strokes by any GM that I can recall because not only do you get this player, but you get the player you traded back. And even the Cubs can't even be that upset because they got a World Series out of it, and the Yankees weren't going to win the World Series that year. And it was a brilliant stroke trading him. Um and uh, making the trade with, uh, of Andrew Miller as well. It's just really smart moves because you know, Justice Sheffield was turned into James Paxton, and we still have to see what becomes of Clint Frazier. But that, uh, those couple of days before the trade deadline that year, that, that goes a long way toward the Yankee team being what it is. Yeah, the Cub deal turned out to be a win-win. I mean, it won, I mean if you're the Cubs and you're waiting like 108 on 10 years, whatever, for to win a title, uh, you've got to make that move. And they made that move and they won their title. So... You know, I, they they have to be happy about that. But you know, in retrospect, they'll look back and say, "Yeah, we got a championship, so we're not going to moan and groan about it." But you know what? We gave up one a hell of a player because this kid is going to be a a megastar. He really is. So, anyway, before I let you go, one more, I've got one. I've got to ask you something, Michael. Uh, we all have our George. Stein, I need a good George Steinbrenner story. Tell tell our audience a good George Steinbrenner story. Um, it was a scrum of people around him. I believe it was in um, I believe it was in Fort Lauderdale. It was in the dugout where the Yankees used to train, and um, there were cameramen jostling for position. And in the front of the scrum, 
was the reporter who was then the Yankee beat writer for the New York Post. That was Joel Sherman. And there was a, a, a cameraman who kept hitting him in the head. And um, Joel turned around twice and said, you, you, you stop hitting me in the head. So the second time he did it, Joel said, if you hit me in the head, I'm going to drop you. And the cameraman hit him in the head again, and, and Joel turned around and just dropped him. And just the glee in George Steinmeier's face. He loved tough people. And from that moment on, Joel Sherman was golden with George Steinberg because he dropped the cameraman in front of George. That's, that's my George story. <laughs> okay. well, that's a good one. Okay. Um, Michael, um, if you could go back in time and, you know, you've been in this 18 years and you covered the radio for another, another 10 years. If you go back before that, go back in time, one moment in Yankee history that you could have been behind the mic for, uh, what would that moment be? Maybe Maris's 61st. Yes. it's a good one. That, that was pretty special, although I think Bill Rizzuto's call is amazing. I wouldn't do better than that, but that, just being part of the whole 61 season, which would have been tough since I was born in February of that year, but being <laughs> part of that 61 season would have been great. Well, Michael, we uh, we thank you for your time. Uh, it's uh, it's a, It was a privilege to have you on our air on Curtain Call, and uh you know, I'll be seeing. I won't be getting out to the stadium for a little bit. I got to heal this uh, this injury, but uh, but I'll see you guys before the postseason starts. And you know, you know, I'll always be on the phone with you. So there you go. But uh, you know, I got to say, it's been a pleasure. Not just now, but uh, all the years uh, that we've uh, worked together, I've uh, I've uh, enjoyed you as much as anybody I've ever worked with. So uh, I say thank you for that. And Kevin appreciates your time on the podcast here. I will tell you this, Flip, and I've told you this privately, and I'll say it on the podcast. Uh, every most of the things I have in life, you you're, you played a huge role in uh, doing that. You took a chance on a radio guy who had never done TV. And, you know, when I got on Yes, it was the first time anybody ever spoke in my ear. I didn't know what TV was about and uh, never read a teleprompter. And you gave me center stage. And I'm glad it worked out for you. And I'm just thrilled that it worked out for me. So thank you for the belief that you've always had in me. One of those deals that works out for everyone, right? So, all right, Michael, take care. I'll, I'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Feel better. I will. Thank you. you. Thank you, Michael. All right, Flip. Michael was great, but his my favorite. No, no. I mean, if he, he told me he's great, it goes to his head. <laughs> well, he's great. I, I want him a little insecure. A little insecurity is not a bad thing. I, I want him a little insecure. I say Michael's great. You start shaking your head. Uh, he, he's very. I mean, I like him. He's really good at what he does. I like a little humility. Humility's a nice thing. Who's that? How's the the Who's audio guy? That? We're in the middle of a podcast. The audio guy is getting in. He said Marshall the audio. Oh, well, let me tell you something. Uh, don't on this podcast because this stuff happened. Let me tell you something. Yeah, go ahead. Michael's reaction to yeah. listening to other people do his job. Yeah. Priceless. Totally. Like making out with your wife. Watching yeah, yeah. someone else and make then out he said with to your me, wife. He'd say, Flip, you'd appreciate this. Why would I appreciate this? I saw my wife make it out with anybody. I mean, why, why would I appreciate it? I'm sorry. I'm lost here. I mean, uh, I, I appreciate it. But Flip, you get that. Really? No, I didn't get it at all, Michael. But go ahead. Well, he was great. You know what? Coming back from what he's come back, that was a fun talk. Oh, it was it was terrific. He's a good guy, and he's really good at what he does. He's he might be even great, but you know, I'll reserve that for judgment for another day. So uh, I noticed while we were talking to Michael, your phone lit up, and I think it was from somebody who might be our next week's guest. Did you get that text? Uh, I didn't really look. Did you say it was? Uh, I think it might have been Alex. Was it Alex? Alex. Yeah. Should we uh, tell? I, well, I don't know what he said. Is well, it? Well, we gave a in? name. Well, we gave a name. Well, let's see. Let's see if he's in or not. I'm sorry, I'll get right back to you. 
Hold on, people. The, I got some really interesting. Tell them again how they rate, subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe. That seriously though, that's how it helps us. Michael K. Michael K. Was it okay? Oh, Michael. Yeah, it was great. Insecure. Oh, stop. A little bit, you know. But but that's the that's why I love Michael. And you told him that. I did. I tell him that every day. I mean, I love him, and he's great at what he does. He shouldn't be insecure. But we're all insecure. That's the business we're in. All right, enough about insecurity. Yeah, next week. Uh, I didn't hear from I assume he's still here, so let's go with it. All right. Alex Rodriguez next week. That's right. We're going to have Alex Rodriguez. I haven't talked to him in forever. Um, I, I talk to him with regularity. I sort of keep up with him. Uh, he's uh, busy in retirement. <laughs> busy in retirement than he was when he was a player. I, I might mean, want to be him when I grow up. I think everybody wants to be him. I mean, Man. that's an interesting... Uh, listen, he's going to marry a beautiful woman, a great woman. She's really nice. At least my main dealings with her, she's sweet. And Alex, I know forever, and you know I really like Alex, and uh, um, I'm I'm happy that he's a guest, and there's a lot of things we could talk about, and we will. So I'm excited about uh, Alex as a guest. I think he'll be a terrific uh, interview and fun to fun to chat with, and he's got a lot of interesting, obviously a lot of interesting things in his life. Yeah, spans a lot of interesting periods. His transformation, you can do Rem- a whole remarkable, yeah, college it, course on. It's remarkable because you know they, when and he, considering the, when he was in his darkest and lowest. You know where that was, and when you t- turn around a few years later and see where he is, it's sort of like, it's like it never happened, and he conquered it, and he's, you know, he has been reborn. I mean, I know him, and I believe him, and I, he has been reborn. He's a different guy and different person, and you know, and and uh, whatever his insecurities were and everything, he had, he's he's conquered them, and he's he's uh, he's uh, he's um, uh, it's a lot of fun, and he's a. An interesting conversation, no doubt. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. This week's guest, Michael Kay, was a lot of fun. Indeed. And uh, what do you think? I think we land this plane. I, I think we do. I, with We say again, thank you to Michael Kay, who uh, was using words that on us because he didn't wasn't able to talk for many weeks. But I'm going to tell you what, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. You know what I loved about that? The humility. The honesty, the humility. You know, that's what I loved about David Cohn. When we had Coney as a guest, the honesty, the humility. I mean, these are sides to, you know, people, not that they're not, you don't see their humility, their honesty, but when you answer questions the way, the manner in which not only David answered them, but the way Michael answered it, you get to see, you get to see, you really get in someone's soul. You get to see what they're about. So, I mean, if we're doing a little of that, then we're actually doing a lot with these podcasts. I couldn't agree more, Flip, (laughs) as you make faces at me. (laughs) And that's what's exciting about this Curtain Call podcast, (laughs) because you could sit here and do this amazing was diatribe, heartfelt, and then sit there and make faces at me. I appreciate that. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. You know. Hey, you know, do you want to say bye? Because I'm going to wrap this up. All right. Should I just say bye for, uh, you know, for bye. Flip? Yes, say bye, subscribe, for Flip. We love you. And we'll see you bye, soon. subscribe, for Flip. We love you. We'll see you soon.